One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. They say happy mummy, happy baby. And I can tell you that when my baby slept, I was one happy mummy. And sleeping was something they always did well. In fact, so keen was I on getting them to sleep that I brought them a natural mat mattress to make them as comfortable as possible. So I'm delighted that this episode is sponsored by Natural Mat Baby, who've been hand-making 100% natural and organic baby and children's mattresses from their Devon workshop for over 20 years and were the first company in the UK to create a completely natural nursery mattress. These mattresses combine carefully selected natural materials, including organic coir, natural latex and organic lamb's wool for supreme comfort and breathability. Did you know babies can't regulate their body temperatures so it's super important that they sleep on a mattress that helps them do this. Natural mats materials are naturally breathable and self-ventilating helping your baby get the good night's sleep that all of you need. Hypoallergenic, completely chemical free, these mattresses are the ideal choice for your baby and you. Confession, I saw how well my baby slept and so I bought myself a topper from their adult range and it's dreamy. Learn more about the importance of a natural night's sleep at naturalmat.co.uk or head to their Notting Hill showroom to have a browse. Listeners can receive 20% off their first purchase of all mattresses and bedding in Natural Mat's nursery category by using the code PARENTHOOD20, all capital letters, at checkout online or in store. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. Much of our lives are spent thinking about or trying to get pregnant, but much more of our lives today are spent trying not to get pregnant. Access to effective contraception has changed the lives of women worldwide in the last century. And yet, in spite of us understanding its importance, it often remains shrouded in myth and misconception. We're lucky to be living in a time where there's more than one option. And when it comes to contraception, a world where innovation has led to contraception that is not only tolerated, but works really well. But in order to find the right solution, we need to be informed. And so I'm delighted to present the next episode in a series sponsored by the Portland Hospital, in which we talk about contraception with an obstetrician and gynaecologist, Dr. Penelope Law, who practices at the Portland Hospital as well as within the NHS. Thank you so much for joining me today. It struck me as I was preparing for this podcast that we are so lucky as women to be living in a time when contraception is so readily available. And you know, it's really only been very recently. Um, good afternoon. Yes, I, I agree, only very recently. I think we can still improve on our offering. Um, I think mainly in um, the field of accessibility. And I know that things are changing 
certainly in this country, as to where and when we can access um, contraception. So, I mean, while I've got you with me, I think what's really good is is just to think about what different types of contraception are available, because the likelihood is um, that women over the course of their life will try different types of contraception because some some things are great at certain times and some things are better at certain other times. And so it's always changing. And very often the sort of last time we were taught about contraception was while we were still at school, which was all about sort of slightly putting the fear of God into all of us kind of girls. Um, but I thought we'd maybe just go through few scenarios and you could just advise advise potentially you know which types of contraception might work for those um, for women in in those different scenarios Um, so one very common one um, I'm asked quite a lot is you know someone who would like to have a baby in a few years time but not quite ready yet what sort of contraception would would you recommend to someone in in that situation um I think uh Age definitely comes into it, and I think the stability of the relationship also comes into it because many people will feel much more comfortable with a form of contraception that may not be 100% or even 99% effective but has a less less prolific side effect profile. Um, If, should a pregnancy happen, it wouldn't completely... um, disrupt their lives. So I think it's definitely um, relationship dependent and age dependent. I think as younger women in our late teens and early 20s, a baby is not something that most of us would want in the next year or so. So in that group, a longer term reversible acting contraceptive is often the most suitable form and also means that Whilst the initial application may be, um, can I say, slightly uncomfortable or even uncomfortable um, and requiring an appointment with a medical uh, professional, once um, once that's fitted, you don't really need to see anybody unless there are problems for maybe three or five years. And I I think that's that's what a lot of people would like. They don't want to, to have to keep Um, renewing a prescription or having their blood pressure checked or actually putting in the time to see somebody. So you're presumably talking about potentially a a coil? Um, I'm talking about a Mirena, which is the trade name for an an intrauterine device. And I know the colloquial term is coil, but I do think that sometimes that gives people a little bit of anxiety because it sounds like metal. And the uh, traditional coils that did use metal, uh, elements of copper anyway, um, were associated with heavier periods and painful periods, and in some cases, a lower level of infection. But the Mirena or the intrauterine device has no metal in it. It's it's a um, synthetic plastic um, device which releases progestogens, which is like progesterone in the second half of the cycle, in a very, very low form um, and a very low dose to the surrounding endometrium and internal cavity of the uterus. And the huge advantage with this is that the side effect profile is so much less because the majority of the progesterone goes to the uterus and not to the whole body. Whereas if you take a tablet, the dose goes all around the body and finally a small amount of it ends up in the uterus. So for side effects such as skin changes, hair changes, 
change of appetite, change of mood, and potential for a thrombotic event like a, a deep vein thrombosis, um, this is actually much safer. Um, it's just, for some women, it's just surmounting the application process. And why it does, why is it called the coil? Is it the same? Is it does it look the same as the copper coil, or is it totally different? Um, it looks the same shape because that's all to do with the application. So you're, what you're trying to do is actually put something the size of the internal. Um, if you think about a, a bic biro, the internal part where the ink is and the tiny little nib on the end that you write with, that is the size of the device and it's about four centimeters long that goes into the uterus but in order for it to stay there you have to have two little what we would call arms but they're just little tags that actually once you've put it in you can't go backwards with it so it can't come out immediately so that's why it was it's it's called a coil because it's the same shape but it's all to do with the application not to do with the the device itself because they work in totally different ways don't they they well, they do work in different ways, but the the second one, the intrauterine device, has the advantage that not only does it um, release hormones, which make the lining very thin. If you have a thin lining, the egg can't implant because there's not enough nutrition there. So, it makes the lining very thin. A, an egg can't implant. B, if you're not pregnant, your periods will be much lighter because the lining is thinner, so there's not so much to shed. But also the very presence of this little plastic tube means that our bodies think it's a foreign body and so the whole process doesn't happen. Whereas with the copper coil, the basis is that the body thinks this is a foreign, a foreign object and doesn't implant. So the morena is working in three different ways. The uh, copper coil is only working in one. And does that mean that the efficacy of the morena coil as opposed to the copper coil is greater? Um it is greater. It's The copper coil is, is still effective, but it's not as effective. Um, the failure rate for a morena is between 1 in 200 and 1 in 300. And um, I think a lot of people are, get, are worried about putting a coil in that it, I mean, as you, as you mentioned before, that sort of inconvenience of needing a, an appointment with either your GP or your gynecologist. Uh, but also, you know, you hear stories of it being really painful. Is this true or is this myth? Well, I think I think things have changed. I know there's been there has been some social media interest in um, coils being inserted in a clinic room with no pain control, um, and gynaecologists saying, "Take a deep breath; it will be fine." But actually, I don't think that's very accurate because we've we've got uh, readily available local anaesthetic gel, which is incredibly effective. It's not painful to put in. The gel is inserted, um, the doctor will wait or the nurse will wait five, ten minutes until that's effective. And I now, and I'm sure I speak for a lot of doctors, rarely need anybody to be given an anaesthetic to have this procedure. So it's it's definitely not pleasant, as I think most women would say a cervical smear, a smear is not pleasant, but it is short and the benefits are so great that most women would recommend it to someone else. Yeah, and and I know too that it's it's relative, it's easy to remove, isn't it? I mean, obviously, it re- requires a professional to remove it, but it's not. Well, I think I think it, it does require a professional to remove it, but it is very quick. It's very quick, and in the main, without complication. And 
I'm right in understanding that once it's removed, your fertility is back then to what, you know, you're, you're fertile immediately. You are indeed fertile immediately. The, the downside of some of the um, tablets is that the cycles take a while to regulate again. And so there can be a delay between stopping taking a, an oral contraceptive pill and conceiving. But this hasn't been shown with the Mirena. And so um, another thing I want to talk about in terms of contraception is sort of after your baby's born, because very often it's the last thing women are thinking about, sort exactly. of one step in front of the other. And I mean, to be honest, for many women, sex is the last thing they're thinking about. And yet that's probably uh, one of the most important times to talk about contraception, isn't it? Um, indeed, indeed. I think one of the myths that surrounds breastfeeding is that breastfeeding per se, is a totally efficient contraceptive, and that's not true. It certainly is less common to conceive if you are fully breastfeeding, but that still occurs. And um, I think breastfeeding at best is between 70 and 80% effective. So we do see women who are surprised to find themselves pregnant even if they haven't seen the return of their cycles Um, and that seems to be potentially avoidable if that's not what somebody has planned Um, ideally you would have a conversation with your healthcare professional before you leave hospital or before the midwife leaves your home um, after you've delivered the baby but again timing is tricky because it it does seem a bit um, out of place to talk about contraception when somebody's just delivered a baby however otherwise it is a missed opportunity because you may not see another healthcare professional for six weeks or even longer and often the person that you see to check your new baby is not the person who can then help you with contraception, which again seems that we could improve on that and that person should be one and the same, but at the moment it isn't. And what sort of contraception works generally for women who've sort of just had a baby and don't want another right away? And to be honest, we shouldn't really. I mean, we we ideally need to give our bodies a little bit of a break between children. Exactly, exactly. Um, I think we know, certainly if you've had a delivery by cesarean section, we would hope that the uterus would have at least a year between deliveries to heal. Um, I think if you wish to uh, breastfeed and continue breastfeeding for several months, um, something without estrogen is less likely to affect your milk supply. So a progesterone-only pill, which is often called the mini pill, um, can be helpful. Um, Again, this provides very good cover but you do need to remember to take it at roughly the same time each day. So within a sort of three hour window, um, and that can be difficult when your life is completely upheavaled um, into a new uh, timetable. Um, often uh, I do say to, to women and also for um, people starting out with contraception, if you put the contraceptive pill somewhere near your toothbrush, you are much less likely to forget because most adults will brush their teeth once a day. Um, I've got to say, I think I didn't least. get to brush my teeth when I when I had a baby <laughs> because it was so chaotic. No, no. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> um, so that that's that's that would be 
one way. Um, so you can take the oral contraceptive pill. Uh, you can have an implant, which is the same, um, the, it's working in the same way. It's the same drug. It's the same progestogen, which is a synthetic form of progesterone. Uh, the downside with the implant, although it offers very good coverage, and in theory, you could have that before you leave the hospital, is that it can give you irregular breakthrough bleeding. And once it's there, um, depending on which one you have, if you have a short-term one, that's great, but you then have to go back just under three months ad infinitum. Or if you have a longer-term one, which lasts for about three years, once that bleeding starts, you either have to weather it or you have to have it taken out. And again, that's yet another appointment, and, and that is uncomfortable to have it taken out. So, and what is the, uh, the the implant? Is it is it like? Does it feel like an injection? Um, it feels you you definitely do for for an implant. It feels like a little um, rod under the skin. It's usually put in the underside of your arm between your shoulder and your elbow, and um, it's again it's a it's pretty much the same shape as the intrauterine device, but it's just going under the skin in the arm. Um, most women will not tolerate that without some local anaesthetic, which is an injection. And do you notice it once it's in the arm? Is there a little lump there? Um, if you know what you're feeling for, yes. If you were looking at someone's arm, no. But as a, as a, as a, um, a patient, yes, you would know where it is. And some women say they find that quite reassuring because they can feel it's there. Yeah. And do so presumably you inject it and then you just got to wait until it it expires, but you don't need to have it removed like no, you, you do need to have it removed every three years. Okay. And how's that removed? Um, that is removed by a small cut in the skin and pulling it out. And if you have it then every three months, do you you, you have it in different arms or is it always in the same arm? Um so this implant is every three years. I, I said that slightly incorrectly. Um, you can have a long-term injection every three months, and that's usually in the top of your leg. Okay. And, and so presumably this, uh, the implant is, is this, as far as I understand, it's the same as taking the pill, but you just don't need to remember to take it. Exactly. Exactly. But, but also, I presume that a lot of people will end up having a coil in between babies too, because, I mean, especially if the cervix has been open, presumably then it's easier exactly. to put in. Much easier to... Once somebody's had a baby, I think it is, it is not so uncomfortable. Absolutely. Um, also, it's, it's a one-off, and then you don't have to think about every month, what do I need to do? It doesn't have the same um, effect on mood as the uh, progesterone you swallow. Um, again, with an implant, if you are sensitive to progestogens, it's a higher dose than the intrauterine device. And you may have those skin changes, mood changes, appetite increase. Appetite increase after you've had a baby is really not what most women want. They're already starving because they're breastfeeding. They don't want something that makes them even hungrier. Um, and so, um, and then obviously between sort of babies, there's also barrier meths, I suppose, too, if people absolutely, are... Absolutely. So that's what um, quite a lot of couples will opt for that. Um, either condoms or um, some people will quite like to use something called a Nuva ring, which um, stays in for 28 days. 
um, and is very easily put in and removed. Again, that's working on the basis of progestogens again. Um. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's still a, a small amount of the population that will use a, a diaphragm or a cap, although as a gynecologist, I don't get asked about that as much as I did. I think... Um, I think um, people are changing as more things are available. And then, you know, once people have had their children, you know, very often women are in their sort of 30s, potentially 40s, and um, contraception is very important because they're done with having children. Um, And they're often then approaching perimenopause. Um, What is, is there a different kind of group of, of contraceptives that work for this cohort? Um, So, in terms of risk profiles, as we all get older, our blood vessels are less elastic, and so our tendency for a blood clot increases. So, you do need to be sure that um, somebody does not have a higher risk of a blood clot with an oral contraceptive pill. And whilst we've improved the side effect profile with many of the combined pills, we may not have always improved the risk of a blood clot. So that's that does need to be sorted out. Um, also, um, women who are heavier may not be suited to an oral contraceptive pill and women who smoke or have high blood pressure. So those things all need to be taken into account. Um, again, you can then look at more definitive ways of um, ensuring that your family is complete. Um, certainly, uh, an incredibly safe method for women is for their partners to have a vasectomy. Um, that is the most effective way. And I think I said before, the Mirena fails one in two to 300 times, whereas the vasectomy fails one in two to 3,000 times. So 10 times more effective. Um, but it has to be right for the individual couples. Um, it's also not available on the NHS anymore. So that has to be taken into account, which I personally think is very short-sighted. Well, it, it does seem like a really sensible option, especially if you're in a situation where as the woman in the relationship, you've basically taken care of this contraception. Um, I, I think it sounds like a, a very good suggestion. How common are vasectomies? No one really talks about them. They're sort of, it feels like there's a little bit of stigma and like you know, emasculation involved with vasectomy. All, all of that, myths, myths. Um, I think 
it's more common than you would imagine. And I think it's maybe purposely not talked about that much because it's been taken off the procedures that are available on the NHS. But that's just me being cynical. But I, I, I do think that's part of it. So what does a vasect- having a vasectomy involve? How, how, how invasive is the procedure? How long does it take? How much time in hospital does it involve? Um, it doesn't really involve any time in a hospital. It involves lying down um, at most a couple of hours, but most of that is recovering afterwards or waiting for the procedure. The procedure itself requires local anaesthetic and um, is over in about 20 to 30 minutes. And what exactly is a vasectomy? What 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 are they? You hear about sort of tubes being tied or just blocking off. It's, it's very similar in practicality to a female sterilisation. So you need to block off the access uh, for the sperm to leave the body. So that that's what's happening. So once you've had a vasectomy, you still um, will have um, you'll still produce seminal fluid. So the uh, sexual intercourse will be no different uh, in any way, but you won't have active sperm. So you've blocked off the vas deferens. And what are the downsides of having a vasectomy? Are there any side effects? I think there are um, recorded instances of low-level ongoing cramps or aching. The most common complication is the desire to have it reversed. And is it possible to have it reversed? In theory, yes. It doesn't always work because you've damaged the lining of the tubes. Yeah. Um, and is there anything similar for women? You talked about sort of sterilisation for women. If a woman has decided that she really doesn't want to have any more babies, is there something yes. more permanent that she can do? Um, sterilisation is still available. Again, uh, not nearly as common as it was. And I think that's because of the increase in the use and um, tolerance of the interuterine devices, which are safer to put in than having a procedure for um, uh, sterilization. Sterilization requires, at the moment, requires still requires a general anaesthetic. You are putting sharp instruments into the abdomen. You can do it laparoscopically, so you, you have very small cuts. But it is potentially it is potentially um, complicated if, when you put your camera into the abdomen, you may have had two or three babies before your um, fallopian tubes are not where they're expected to be, and that can be for all sorts of reasons. Whether you've had cesarean sections, whether you've had infections, whether you've had endometriosis, all sorts of reasons, and then it becomes a little more tricky to correctly identify and just um just block off those parts of the body and you I mean you mentioned the intrauterine device which i know we've talked about but that was also a particularly good option for women as they get a little bit older isn't it so um the history of the intrauterine device is very interesting because um it was trialed first uh, certainly when I was um, training, it was trialed in a large group of women who wanted uh, to have surgery to remove their uterus because their periods were so problematic. And problematic periods tends to occur in our later to mid to late 40s. That's when we see more women. And Although we don't completely understand that, we think that's because of the impending perimenopause and the effect of 
different hormone levels on the ovaries. So in this group of women, they were offered a um, intrauterine device as a temporary measure whilst they were waiting for surgery. And the study reported that uh, 75% of the women then declined the surgery because they were so delighted with the results. And what happens is because the lining is made thin, you either have regular light periods or no periods at all. So not only have you got the most effective contraceptive, but you also may not have any periods. Again, so doubly, it's, it's very acceptable. The downside is that it can take three to six months for optimal control, um, and you can get irregular bleeding in that time. But if you can bear to wait three to six months, most women are absolutely delighted. And then the uh, the device lasts, what, three years, four years? Five that? years. Five, Five years. years. Um, again, going further into the perimenopause, it can be used as the progestogen part of HRT. So the gold standard for best outcome, best symptom control is oestrogen gel with a, a morena in situ to counteract the effect of the oestrogen. So if you had a marina coil in and your sort of latter half of your 40s, could it be that simply having the coil in is, you know, soothing the side effects that you might be experiencing of the perimenopause? Um, I think some of it. I think you probably still, for optimal effect, you may want some oestrogen. But certainly some women don't have any HRT at all. They don't, they don't feel that their symptoms need them to take anything. And when can women stop thinking about contraception? Well, <laughs> that's a question. So, um, uh, and women have been caught out. Um, so ideally, you would wait until you have had a year of no periods. Sometimes um, you can have your, um, what we call your FSH and LH levels, which are the hormones that come from the brain that um, signal to the ovaries. You can have those done maybe twice in one month. And if they're consistently high six months after your periods have stopped, you could safely, you could safely not. Okay. Um, and then you, you're obviously going to get this group of women who are probably having talks about contraception with their daughters. And, you know, if you've had a child in your 30s, it's 30 years since you were a of teenagers, someone in the early 20s, um, what kind of contraception would should we be talking about to our to our young children today? As I'm presuming there's been some innovation since the 1990s when I was having this conversation. Um, well, I think the um, guidance from the national guidance from NICE is long-term reversible so that would be uh, an intuitrine device there's a couple on the market that are designed for um younger women and smaller uh smaller uteruses um so that one would last for three years again some teenagers are not quite ready to have that procedure but um it's it's definitely um available or an implant uh, the arm implant for three years it, as I said, it can cause irregular bleeding and that can be um, problematic for some younger women. Um, I think I have to mention the Natural Cycles app, which has come onto the market. And although it's been marketed um, as, I would, as being very effective and accurate, I'm not sure that's completely the full picture. 
um, and it's been marketed as being individual. And again, I'm not sure that's the full picture because we have such a variety of cycles between us all that it women have been caught out. So and how I've, exactly does that work? The app it 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 works it works it out from the day of ovulation, but it it kind of supposes that we ovulate similarly each month, and we don't. So it it's it's not as accurate as it would suggest. I think it's helpful, but um, again, then that slightly negates the uh, message for barrier um, methods. And, and that's probably what I would say, if it was my daughter, I would say that is as important um, because the main reason for infertility still is infection as a younger person that wasn't, was missed. Um, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I guess, you know, you're talking about contraception for different reasons. You know, we've been yes. primarily talking about contraception for women who are in a stable relationship and they just don't want to get pregnant. But obviously there's the con contraception to prevent sexually transmitted diseases. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And exactly. I'm uh, the, the barrier method. So condoms are the only way to stop sexually transmitted diseases. Am I right? Um, you are right at the moment. I think... Uh, in our children's um, reproductive health age, we will see male, a wide, uh, we will see global um, male vaccination for HPV. Yes, exactly. I mean, that was actually going to be my next question that, you know, most children, most teenagers are now vaccinated against the HPV virus. And I was hearing the other day that actually the data is now coming back, having seen a large group of you know, girls that were vaccinating and they said it's even more successful than they'd anticipated. Yes, yes, yes. So that is, it is very good news. It's just, I find it really interesting why it's taken so long because I remember as a medical student, we said, well, how can this work if you only vaccinate half the population? Why, why are we not going for both? But there was no, no clear answer as to why we didn't. But anyway, we are now. Do you think it's all tangled up in this notion that contraception is women's jobs? I feel it is. I feel it is. But I'm hoping that 2021 is the year that these things start to change. Yeah. And should, um, I mean, I know that if you're, you know, in a stable relationship, you don't need to worry so much. But if you are not in a monogamous relationship as a 40-year-old and you haven't had the HPV vaccine, is that something you should consider having? Well, um, I think the official answer to that is yes, you can. But the trouble is that the older you are, the less of a response you, your body makes to the vaccine. So it would be more effective than not having it, but it's not going to give you the cover that it would have if you've never met that virus in the past. So that's why girls are offered it at sort of 12, yes. 13 when, yes. you know... As parents, because they're really hoping they're not sexually active. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, but on that note, there is a, a steep increase in sexually transmitted diseases in the over 50s singles. And if, if boys are vaccinated against HPV, do, do people not seem to worry about sexually transmitted diseases? Presumably there are other diseases that aren't. There are other diseases that, um, yeah, so gonorrhea is still on the increase in the heterosexual population and syphilis was. I don't know if it still is. Yeah. 
Um, I wanted to quickly talk about the future of contraception. It feels like this is such a massive thing. And, and actually, when, you know, just doing some reading before I interviewed you and talking about the sort of inventors of the pill and how that really was one of the sort of seismic changes of the last century in terms of liberating women. Um, and yet, while I'm learning a lot from you today, I feel like, you know, since the pill and then obviously the intrauterine device is, is, is just an amazing you know, flexible thing. Um, is there, what about in terms of innovation, in terms of contraception? Is it something that people are focusing on? Um, do you think that in the next 30 years, we'll see another, you know, big player come into the sort of contraceptive market that will work really well? Or do you think we sort of got the gold standard now? Um, I think the amount of funding that is required to um, design, research, and test a novel method, method of contraception is um, eye-watering. Um, I'm not sure that the pharmaceutical companies are targeting that at the moment, as I think they've all got their hands full with something else that caught them by surprise. Um, I think probably the next thing that will come is some acceptable method for men but that will have to come with a big attitude change yeah i think it will come i think it will come um but it 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 is going to take some some change i I mean i think i think it is it's definitely on its way yeah and maybe that's something that as mothers of sort of young children you know we can do to address because i feel the onus has always been on women you talk to girls Mm -hmm. about contraception and you talk to boys about you know, condoms, but that's sort mm-hmm. of it. And I feel that, you know, the conversation around contraception, especially actually with parents who just had a baby, that really should be, you know, both partners should be involved yes. in that conversation rather than just the woman that's just delivered a yes. baby. Yes. I think I think around the um so the changes in education for both boys and girls um ha- is definitely focusing on consent much more. And I think that this will come as part of that um, I, I, th- I think it, it's definitely it's definitely going to change and I, I as mothers absolutely we shouldn't be leaving it all to teachers to explain well and we should also be teaching our boys to take responsibility and if you're yes. old, you yeah. know if you're responsible enough to be sexually active you need to be old enough to be responsible and have this conversation around uh, contraception and, and also to say that should uh, a pregnancy occur, it isn't just going to affect the partner. It is actually going to affect you as well, even though in ways that you may not think. Um, either way, if there's not a child or if there is a child, it is going to affect you. So I, I think that conversation has not been had. Mm-hmm. But I, I do understand that it is now part of um, children's education. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. This has been a real eye-opener for me. I teach antenatal classes and, and it's been really good actually to hear about sort of vasectomies and I love this sort of idea that, that you know, this, the onus will hopefully be shifting. Um, so thank you so much for your time and your expertise today.
been a pleasure thanks marina and thank you too to the portland hospital for their sponsorship of this podcast series for more information about the services for women and children offered by the portland you can visit theportlandhospital.com thank you all for downloading this episode of the parenthood you can subscribe rate and review wherever you found this podcast you can also follow me on instagram i'm at marina.frogel but in the meantime from dr Penelope and me thanks for listening Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.